Hello and welcome. I am Ira Gordon, and along with Stacey Santi, the host of the Accidental Entrepreneurs Podcast. We each previously founded successful companies. Along the way, we became business owners and eventually sold those businesses, despite us having no real background in business or ever even planning to become entrepreneurs. In other words, we did this all despite originally having no idea what we were doing or getting ourselves into. In each episode of this podcast, we will share stories and tips from our journey, and we'll answer a randomly chosen question about our experience. Let's jump right into the show. Uh, so did you have time to think about the question from last week, which was, what were some of the marketing ideas that failed? Yeah, I got a, I have a pretty bad one. Um, it's <laughs> almost like embarrassing to even share. Um, it can't but, be more embarrassing than the one I'm going to share. So you go first, though. <laughs> we had a, this product that like just wasn't taken off. I was um, hygienist prep. So it was our prep course for dental hygienists that we built. And we had like done all this research. We're like, it's this big market. Like these people make almost as much money as vets do. Like, um, and and they and we knew some hygienists, and they're like, oh, this would be great, right? And I'm like, how come like how come we can't sell this thing? Like, well, we don't know hygienists. Like, well, what is it? And um, and there was this group that had um like dental hygiene in-person board reviews, which was kind of like we we're sort of familiar with this in optometry, like the dominant. Uh, board prep company was somebody that did in-person board reviews. Um, and um, and then we started to sort of take over a market share from them when we built the opto prep. Um, but in hygienist prep, like just like we were getting double digit like subscribers. Like it just wasn't really moving. Uh, John went to like one of these in-person board review seminars um, despite us like saying like, we don't really know if this is a good, good idea. This kind of seems a little like weird and shady for us to be like at their thing right and um but he like he went and he like stayed at the same hotel as the thing and like he just like started talking to like all the people there and like handing out our cards and stuff and um, like promoting it at their event yeah like not like like literally like in their lecture but like at the same place that they were like doing their thing and uh, and it just felt like super like i don't know like we're not really supposed, there's nothing like illegal about what we're doing, but like, it just like, it feels like kind of yucky. Right. Um, As my mom would say, uh, it seems a little tacky. Yeah. That's probably the best word for it. Yeah. Um, And, um, but anyway, like it didn't really help ultimately, like, you know, the guy that ran that company, like he's sort of like influential in that space. Right. And like, so we like, we pissed off, like, you know, one of the opinion leaders when it came to sort of dental hygiene board prep by doing this like kind of tacky thing at like his event. And uh, yeah, I think it ended up, you know, hurting us rather than helping us. And it was just something like we just always felt not good about because we were sort of resistant to it. It felt like we kind of got pushed into doing it. And um, and then we kind of got called out on it. Right. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, ultimately, like this is our business and like we did kind of we green lighted the idea although i think we didn't we didn't really expect everything that happened to be everything that happened but it was kind of like the worst case scenario of what we imagined happening so the lesson learned from that is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like integrity like integrity with your company and yeah, like, i've been in the same spot too where you are 
feeling like these, I don't know, you're like, you have sort of a funny feeling about it, but you're not sure. You should always acknowledge that funny feeling because always that feeling is leading you. It's trying to tell you something. I think marketing makes scientists and doctors and those types of people like uncomfortable. Um, like good marketing makes them a little bit uncomfortable, but um, but bad marketing makes them very uncomfortable, right? Um, and and that's like a hard a hard line to know when you've crossed it. Um, the big ethics test of like, you know, how would you feel if w- what you did here showed up? in the front page of the newspaper, right? Um, would that be something you're like, yeah, I, I feel okay about that or good about that? Or I feel like, you know, that would be really embarrassing. And this was definitely one of those. Yeah, this would be really embarrassing. Yeah, I can relate because in my company, it was pretty competitive as there were several companies doing the same thing. And several of the other companies were posting on their website, you know, these little checklists of who does what. and you know, these are things that big companies do that you think maybe Salesforce versus HubSpot versus, you know, here's all the boxes we check. Here's where your competitors deficient. And some of the companies went deep into where everyone else sucks in order to make their candle shine brighter. And my marketing team was like, we got to get in there and do that. And I just always felt so weird about it because I actually knew that these were people that were real entrepreneurs like me and they were hustling and they were doing their best. And I also, not that I don't mind taking a dig at someone, but I didn't hundred percent know if my dig was accurate and I didn't know what they were working on, on their roadmap to maybe my dig was going to be short lived because they had an improvement coming out or a, a lot of the digs were on bugs you know, oh, did you know that the competitor can't do this? And I'm not saying we didn't dabble in that because we did, because you're everyone else is doing it. So why shouldn't you? But I never felt proud of that. That isn't something I could like walk around a conference and be like, oh, I did this. You know, it, it's not a I I regret doing some of that. Yeah. Now we I totally understand. And this was always really hard because we had one major competitor for vet prep and for most of our other products, there's, there's other people doing similar things. And, and yeah, like this comes up, like you feel sometimes attacked by what other people do and you got to figure out whether you should respond or, you know, people would ask us all the time, like, well, why should I pick your thing over somebody else's thing? And it takes a lot of practice and discipline to sort of develop a, a response that doesn't feel like you're avoiding the question, but also isn't sort of, you know, kind of taking shots at somebody else's product that frankly, like, you don't really know what's on their product roadmap. And, you know, so like if you say, well, the reason is because they, you know, we have this thing that they don't look, you know, maybe they're going to have that next week. Maybe they already have it and you don't even know it yet. Right. Um, and, um, and so it just kind of puts you in this position of, uh, of being an expert on something that you are not actually an expert on. And, and I think, yes, it's, it's simple ish to kind of take this refrain of like, well, I'm going to speak about what I know about, which is all the good things about my product. But, um, you know, you kind of need a a little bit of a delicate and refined approach to to do that without seeming like you're avoiding the question. But really the, the ethical thing to do is to admit that like, you know, like I hear that they have 
a fine product, but like what I really know is what's great about mine, right? Um, and um, and you should talk to them about you know what's great about their product. Let me tell you what what's great about mine. And I think ultimately, like we figured out how to how to do that, but um, but not without some slip ups along the way for sure. And um, and those things they don't really help your business, and they certainly don't help your reputation. And it's a pretty small world and people find out and then you end up having to defend yourself for making you know claims about something that you didn't know that much about. Mm-hmm. I think people really like more of authentic voice. They don't want to be bullshitted by your massive claims of, you know, we can fix anything and we're going to save the world. I think people are tired of it. Stacy, have you ever seen the movie crazy people? No. Oh my gosh, I haven't I haven't seen it in ages. I probably need to rewatch it. Um, but uh, the premise, which I'm probably gonna screw up, is um, basically there's this ad executive who's tired of like you know promoting these unrealistic visions, and he starts writing ads that are like really what the product does, and they're not very positive. And I think they put him in a mental institution or something. But basically, the ads start working because people actually you know that's they want honest advertising. Buy Volvos. They're boxy, but they're good. We know they're not sexy. This is not a smart time to be sexy anyway, with so many new diseases around. Be safe instead of sexy. Right. Ah. Oh, this is lovely. Truth and travel? Uh-huh. Forget France. The French can be annoying. Come to Greece. We're nicer. So? We're nicer? The French pride themselves on being annoying. In Paris, they have contests. I mean, they're they're eligible for huge prizes. Quaker Oats. Does this cereal taste great? Who knows? But at least the box is cute. Right. The box is cute. The box is cute. pretty relevant, even though it's, you know, 35 years old. Yeah, I so true. Oh, yeah. Well, for me, this I have several failed marketing, I like have a bunch, but I've got three to share. So the first one is probably the funniest, I think. I really wanted one of those explainer videos for Tibet to Pet that I could put out on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever that, you know, you see these, they're like 30 seconds. And they, some of them have someone drawing on a dry erase board, making a picture. I tried to figure out how to do that. I couldn't do it. Others were using avatars to try to record. I tried doing that. I couldn't do it. So I ended up going on Upwork and I put the job out there and I'd had pretty good success at Upwork. So this uh, person, I don't know, somewhere else on the planet picked up the gig for, I want to say it was about $300, maybe $500 I spent. And I communicated with him through the, the chat on Upwork what I wanted. And I waited and waited and it was delayed. And I finally got my explainer video. And oh my God, it was so <laughs> bad. I'm going to share it in the show notes so you guys can see it. It was ultimately like 
um, culturally inappropriate. It had all these little avatars of all these ethnic people in there. And then at the very end, it had an avatar of me sliding down a rainbow. That's (laughs) nice. (laughs) It was something that when I finally went to, I don't know if you know, Craig Spinks and Vedios, they make these high-end production explainer videos. I went to him and he charges quite a bit more than that guy. And I showed him what I had paid for and he just died laughing. And he's like, can we use that in our marketing of what not to do? (laughs) And what being, what Martin, my business partner, Martin would say is grandmother used to tell him is we're too poor to be cheap. You know, we've got to have good quality stuff right out of the gate or we're just wasting money. And, oh, you guys, you're not laughing now, but please click on the link in the show notes and you will have a good chuckle. It's really, really bad. So another fail I had, this one was pretty funny too, is I was at a, I was going to a trade show and I thought, you know, you need a, you need something to get the people to stop by your booth, like some sort of Shotsky. Is that how they say it? Shotsky or? Yep. And I got this big giant um, gumball machine off of Amazon. And I filled it with jelly beans that were purple and green, which is our brand color. And then I thought people could come and just get a dose of their jelly beans, but I got one that was automated. And so people wouldn't have to crank the wheel to get the jelly beans to come out. But there was a delay on the automation. So when you put your hand under the dispenser, nothing happened. Very similar to when you go to try to get a paper towel. Dispenser, yeah. Yeah. And you waving and nothing happens. So you take your hand out and you keep waving. So what would happen is people would put their hand under the jelly bean dispenser. Nothing would happen. So they take their hand out to re-wave. And at that exact moment, all the jelly beans would come out all over the floor. That happens to me every time I use an automated soap dispenser. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, ah, I give up. And then as soon as you do, like the soap just drops right on the counter. So (laughs) this resulted in jelly beans all over the floor all day long. (laughs) The more people that came to the booth, the more jelly beans. It was just such a fail. That was a product fail. Um, another one, this was this one's probably more serious fail, is in the beginning of Vet to Pet, we knew that veterinarians would need to market their app to their clients. And we really wanted to make it turnkey. So they didn't have to lift a finger. And my theory was make it frictionless, make it easy, they'll do it. And so we would spend quite a bit of time and money creating a marketing box for them. It came with note cards you could put out at your front desk. It came with some um, posters or a mouse pad you could put at the, when people write their check, you know, all, all these things, like quite a few little things that we custom branded and we printed for them. And then Karen's son, who was probably about 10 at the time, we hired him to come and he'd put them all in the box and we'd write a handwritten note to them. I mean, this was with love, right? And we'd ship it off to the customer. And we were spending a lot of not only labor, but time, but money printing. Child labor. Child, a lot of child <laughs> labor and a lot of 
um, money printing all these things and shipping costs. And so after a year or so, I started wondering, are these really working? And we started to run some numbers to try to see, you know, people that got the marketing kit versus people that didn't get the marketing kit. How were they performing? And we ended up finding there was no, no, um, correlation to people that got the marketing box did better than the people that didn't. And in fact, the reason we ended up running this little pilot was because we would call our customers and we would ask them, do you need more refills? Or people just weren't ordering refills and they were free, right? So why weren't you ordering? Well, what we found is a lot of times this box would arrive to somebody in the practice and they didn't really know what it was. And it ended up on a shelf somewhere and nobody, even the people that needed to know about it, the manager, the owner of the practice never even got it. And it was such a waste of money and effort that we just ended up stopping that. And we started charging people for their marketing supplies because when you buy something, you have more of a buy-up, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I'm expecting something. So that turned out to be a much better approach. And if I'm being honest, somebody actually told me this advice before early in the game, and I just didn't believe them. They're like, oh, you always have to charge for marketing supplies. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. But mm, she was right. <laughs> yeah. Um- the first time, probably two or three years in to um, to vet prep, we started to get some calls from from universities, and this is really cool. Like they wanted to sign up their whole class to take vet prep because pass rates for boards are one of the criteria that are used for schools to be accredited, and obviously it's mm. important to them for all their students to get licensed. And so like, well, this is really neat. Instead of having to try to sell our product to a hundred individual students, like we can just sell it to the whole school. How great is that? Uh, but what happened in some of those first examples was not surprising given what you just shared, right? The school paid for subscriptions for all the students. And what happened? Most of the students didn't use the product nearly as much as they did when students were paying for it themselves. And oh. they didn't do as well on their board exams as most of our users did. And um, you know, it was a, a big realization for us that you know, we really need to be kind of careful, although it was maybe best in the short term for the business for us to get these bigger sales, we needed to make sure that we got the right buy-in from all the stakeholders, including the students themselves, that um, you know this was something valuable that they needed to use in order to get a benefit that they needed from it. And so another one of those learning experiences. Yeah, free is a four-letter word, right? Yeah, you uh, um, people feel like they get what they pay for, right? It's yep. sort of the gym membership thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Okay. No. <laughs> So now it's time in the show where we will share a favorite tip, trick, quote, inspirational something. What do you have for us today, Ira? So uh, a book that I really liked, probably more relevant for my time uh, leading veterinary practices than my time at VetPrep, but um, but applies to both, is a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by 
Patrick Lencioni. Um, and it is a pretty, you know, funny and engaging book that kind of walks through the ways that teams can be dysfunctional and the approach that leaders can take to try to improve the function of teams. And I would really like that I shared it with uh, numerous practice managers that worked with me at the practices over the years. I haven't read that book, so I'll have to check that out. For me, I want to talk about Loom, L-O-O-M dot com. And I discovered this, I I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. And what it is, is it is a video recording program. You can use it on your desktop or on your phone. And you can either share your screen or just record yourself or both. And it allows you to make quick videos that you can forward out to other people. So the cool thing is, is it's all hosted on their site. So you just get a URL. So it's like streaming and the recipient of the video can add comments on the video at certain timestamps. They can give you emojis and you can actually have a conversation in the video about the video, which I used in several ways. One of my favorite ways though, was one of my team members that was more on the operational side she would send me an end of week recap on Loom and this avoided a meeting, right? She would just send me a recap and then I could ask her questions in the video about, and she'd say, Hey, what do you think about this? Tell me in the video. And I would just be able to have a conversation with her without having to meet, which ended up doing a lot of things like kept our Fridays pretty clean, which we always like getting, trying to get home early on Friday. Uh, But it also gave a record of what we were working on. So that was good. The other way I used this was to record just videos to my team. So I could do just quick little end of week recaps or first of the week, you know, let's go get them videos. And it was just an easy way to communicate with people without having to pull everyone into a Zoom room. So I really love Loom. It's great. Um, I only used it a little bit. I think I, I used it once for a online CE that I had put together, and mm-hmm. that was how they wanted to collect all the videos. It was, it was kind of neat, but that's uh, interesting insight into how to use it on the sort of operational side. Well, we started using it too on customer support because you would get people that say, I don't know how to reset my password. And we're like, okay, well, you click on the button that says reset your password, which... <laughs> <laughs> we would make a little video and you could have them stockpiled so you could just share a little screen recording. It It's personal. It's easier. And a lot of people are visual learners. They don't like to read long instructions. So definitely check that one out. Use it lately? Um, I haven't used it lately, uh, mostly because I don't really have a job anymore. So yeah, I heard a few months ago that Loom was bought by Atlassian, which are, um, oh. if you know who Atlassian is, they they have a lot of interesting products. They have they Confluence Trello. and that they bought Trello. Yeah. And I believe they own Jira as well. Mm-hmm. And so they are continuing to sort of put together a pretty interesting suite of tools. Oh, I didn't know that. Very good to know. All right. Well, I guess it's time to spin the wheel. All right. You have to sue anyone. Oh, I got a story on that. I did, actually. 
Oh boy. Um, well, I will leave everybody in suspense about me. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to learn more about my story or Iris story, be sure to check out episodes two and three. And if you are an accidental entrepreneur and would like to be a guest co-host on the show and spin the wheel, just message be a co-host, no spaces, to 1-833-463-9727 and tell us your story. See you next time.